poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. Today's guest on CPG is a multi-time guest on the program and founder of CardPlayerLifestyle.com, the always gracious and uplifting Robbie Straczynski. Robbie and I go way, way back. His first appearance on CPG was episode number two, and every time he's been on the show, it has been an absolute pleasure. Today, he's back to share with you his experience at this year's Fall WSOP, where he also launched his dream project, the Mixed Game Festival, despite there being a major unexpected logistical hiccup that kept folks indoors over the past couple of years. You may or may not be aware of such a thing. So if you've ever wondered what it would be like launching your very own poker series or running a popular poker brand, this episode is chock full of gems to sate your curiosity. So now, without any further ado, it is my pleasure to bring to you great friend of Chasing Poker Greatness, the founder of CardPlayerLifestyle.com, Robbie Straczynski. Mr. Straczynski, welcome back to Chasing Poker Greatness, sir. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be back for the third time. I think, uh, am I the first repeat? You are not. I ah, think <laughs> one of these days I'll be the first three, three people. Um, but it's good to be back. It's a fun show. And, and thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. I think the other, I'm afraid of leaving people out. Carlos Welch has been on three times. Nick Howard has been on three times, not counting the detox files. And I think Barry Carter's been on at least three times. He just oh, he's got 7,000 books to, to, to pimp all the time. So yeah, the more times the merrier for him. Yeah. He just, he gets, <laughs> he just likes a good pummeling. So he comes on and pummels himself and gets pummeled <laughs> if Dara comes on and you, you even got pummeled, pummeled when uh, Jared Tindler came on. I think Jared Tindler's actually been on three times as well. Very nice. Well, it's a good, uh, good crowd to join. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, you know, you, when, when I aspire to release a podcast today, well, I'm always in need of content. There you go. <laughs> it's I'm pretty, happy to supply. <laughs> pretty easy rule, right? So let's catch up to what you've been doing since the last time you came on the show. Oh, I don't even remember when the last time was, but Sheldon uh, Adelson had just died. That was, if we want to wow. set the time timeline. And so it's got to be, I mean, it's not a year yet, but it's got to be close. Yeah. Yikes. That's a, man, a lot of water under the bridge since then. Um, I've certainly kept busy. It's uh, one of the things I, I just do. I just, uh, I grind a lot and it's not, you know, I've got to brag or anything. I just, I really just fill my time a lot and I've got a lot of work to do. So thankfully that's good. Um, I guess the thing, there, there are two major things uh, that an overwhelming majority of my time was basically focused on invested in, kind of sort of related. Uh, I, I really just sort of felt that it was time to take hard player lifestyle, you know, my, my site.com um, uh, <laughs> to the next to the next level. Uh, and there were sort of two big components of that. 
One of them was doing a full website redesign. Uh, you know, it's it's no longer the poker blog. It's just you know card player lifestyle, and there's just a lot more content that you could see stuff from you know almost 12 years now of putting articles together and publishing them. They're much more easily accessible, uh, well categorized. It's a much more intuitive layout, and just like you know. The, the 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 nuts and bolts of it were there, but it was a matter of making it look good. Uh, and thankfully, all the feedback that I've received has been overwhelmingly positive about that. You know, and and also just speeding things up. It was a very long overdue uh, redesign. We did the logo, the color scheme, everything you can imagine. So I don't know how to do that stuff. But so this is the first time that I actually put money and and paid people rather than calling in favors and doing barters and stuff to make that happen. But I realized, hey, if you really want to get somewhere, sometimes you got to put your money where your mouth is. And it was kind of long overdue. It had been four and a half years uh, since I did the last redesign. And that was kind of like a hacked together job, uh, you know, with friends and, and, and well-meaning people and, and all that stuff. But this is now, you know, I, I want to believe that this kind of brings us into the conversations of, you know, the major poker media sites. Um, so that was part of it. And the second thing, you know, like so besides dealing with everyone behind the scenes and making sure it looks good and finally launching, you know, whatever it was, eight, nine months after conception, I had my first ever live event uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, that just happened a few weeks ago, um, you know, from October 4th through 7th. This is something I had been planning to announce uh, on March 10th or March 11th, 2020. And we all know what happened. So I had all the pieces together, all the ducks in a row. And I just kind of had to hold on to this, be very tight lipped for about a year and a half. Uh, it's called the Mixed Game Festival. Uh, and we gave away a platinum pass from Poker Stars, a $30,000 prize package. Um, the first one that had been given away in about a year and a half, we announced it on July 11th uh, and then put all the pieces together of just promoting it and making sure it's okay people know what they're getting a whole bunch of swag and companies i work with so um both of those initiatives so to get back to your original question is they took a lot of time a lot of effort but i know what the goal was what the destination was with each of those initiatives and it's pretty cool gotta be honest to be sitting here with you in a late october when we're recording this and like wow we did it you know, it's not, nothing was perfect. You know, there were some bumps along the way and a little bit of the iceberg, you know, beneath the surface, but that's what I've been busy with uh, among other poker media activities. Yeah. I mean, uh, unless you're the WSOP, it's really hard to pull off a festival flawlessly without any feedback or pushback complaints by anybody, but you know, maybe, maybe one of these days you'll reach the the WSOP level of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I sense a slight bit of snark, just the slightest, tiniest take, bit. <laughs> take it for what you will, uh, <laughs> take it for what you will. But I mean, the reality is like managing it, it's a tough logistical problem with a lot of moving pieces. And of course, everything's not going to be completely smooth. That's just the reality of life. Tell me about the logistical part of solving the problem, getting everything ran? What was the hardest part for you? And mm -hmm. then at the end of that, how, how did it feel when, you know, in the present moment, this dream that you had is actually coming to fruition? It's all happening. That's a great question. Um, 
and I'll try to answer it uh, as best I can. There were a lot of moving parts, but the thing is, you know, I'll, it's I'll, I'll go, I'll dial way back. In November 2019, I was telling my wife, uh, you know, Miriam, shout out to her. This has kind of happened because of her. I was like, you know, I had been working for the previous three summers uh, with Poker Productions on the WSOP main event. And I was like, you know, I don't think I want to do it anymore. And during those two weeks is the only time I'm not focused on my own stuff. I'm working for someone else. And she's like, okay, you know, I, I understand. But, you know, if you want to go to Vegas, I live in Israel. If you want to go to Vegas, you better figure out a way to make money. <laughs> you know, so it's not, I can't just expect to fly seven and a half thousand miles away. Um, you know, so practical. that's where it got me. Yeah. Right. Very practical. And, and, you know, again, it doesn't happen without that first push. And obviously she supported me all along the way. Uh, my wheels began turning and I just like, well, what comes naturally? And, and I kind of took a little inspiration, a, a slight bit of, of just uh, ideological inspiration from Jason Somerville and his run it once, what he uh, run it up when he put it uh, together, all those festivals. Um, he said he created something that he wanted to attend, you know, something that was never in existence before and he put it into existence. So I was like, well, I love mixed games. And I love, you know, when we get it together, it seems pretty rare. Um, I don't have thousands of dollars to just, you know, spew in, in, in big bracelet events. And I must not be alone. You know, there's got to be people out there who feel the same. Home game heroes, the weekend warriors, that kind of thing. So I was like, well, why doesn't this exist? And, you know, here and there over the past couple of years, I had put together spontaneously, get a few people, let's do a for it cash game, you know, and I had gotten, I had worked, you know, built my network and, and, and worked with a number of different companies in the past. And I've worked with poker stars uh, on a whole bunch of different initiatives. And I was like, well, you put all of these things together and then maybe you've got something. You've got, you know, what, what ended up being called the Mixed Game Festival, worked with Westgate. Um, and, you know, there were some bumps there. That was something that, you know, let's put it this way. I, I was all ready to go in March, 2020. And I had everything, you know, my contacts there and it was all set up. Pandemic happens. And then at some point during the pandemic, uh, my main contact, the poker room manager there, Mark Selby, he's like, just letting you know, Robbie, I've decided to leave and move on to Resorts World. And I was like, oh, you know, like, it's funny because it's not like a house of cards or anything like that. But all of a sudden, if your main contact at an organization is no longer there, it makes things that much more complicated. You have to deal with the replacement and his boss or, you know, that sort of a thing. So we did it and it was okay, but that was just um, an unexpected hiccup, you know, that, that to, again, to speak directly to your question about the difficulties, challenges. Poker Stars was on board the whole time with the Platinum Pass, um, you know, all of the other great companies, you know, like the, they were like, yeah, here, please take more free merch, free swag. You know, some of them came out of the woodwork. Some of them I approached, uh, you know, whether it's uh, books or apparel or cards, all of these sorts of things. And I basically wanted to create, again, like, like Somerville did, something that I would love to attend and it hadn't been in existence before. Also, I'm, you know, Sabbath observant. So like doing anything on a Friday late night or Saturday is impossible for me. I love the idea of not just everything's tournaments, tournaments, tournaments. I was like, let's get a cash game component. So I was like, okay, perfect. Let's do a Monday through Thursday. I can attend every single day. There's no issues. We'll have cash games. We'll have a tournament. We'll give away a platinum pass. 
everyone likes this extra value. We'll have food. We'll have, you know, hopefully a decent rake kind of a thing. And we'll have hopefully a lot of goodwill. People like getting things for free. So it took, what took time was kind of like, this, there's no real blueprint for it. You know, when you're conceiving something new. So, and I had never done anything near this scale before. So, you know, when I'm saying it took a lot of time, this is a lot of brainstorming, tons of emails, phone calls, and again, doing it from 7,500 miles away and 10 hours ahead of Pacific time zone, not so simple. Um, but did we you, got it done. You know, did you so, reach out to anybody that's gone through this process before to kind of pick their brain? That's No one's asked me that. Um, not exactly, uh, because I was kind of like protective of the idea, silly as it sounds. I, you know, I kind of wanted to make a big splash. And, uh, you know, again, maybe in my mind it was, maybe it was just, you know, another tournament or another festival to everybody else. But I kind of wanted to like have a whole bunch of stuff and say, okay, guys, we're doing something cool that hasn't been done before. Here and there, you know, when I had some specific questions, you know, I, there are people who I consider to be mentors to me. Um, I did ask their opinion, you know, it wasn't a hundred percent a secret because, you know, again, I was basically ready to go March, 2020. I would say I told about a dozen people in the year and a half, um, cause you just can't stay tight lipped about it. And you've got, you know, you're waiting for the pandemic to end, so to speak. And when can I finally announce and, you know, what do we need to redo? How are we going to make it better than originally conceived? So no, I didn't exactly approach anyone. But now what I have learned, having done it, uh, I've learned a ton. You know, I, I emptied the clip trying my best as far as time, effort, resources, you know, promotion, the whole deal. And I came out very happy, but also saying, okay, we're going to do this whole laundry list of things different and better next time around. And I'm just happy that's going to hopefully be a next time. Yeah. So I was going to say you did one thing that's very, very smart. Um, and then the second thing <laughs> I was going to say was if you talk to people who had done it before, because I find that that's man, the best way to learn from other people's experiences is find somebody that's gone down the path that you're okay. going down and talk to them about it because they have wisdom and guidance and experience to, to give you. I understand the, I guess the fear of protecting an idea, you want your idea to be yours um as well i understand that very much i have multiple ideas that i keep to myself and we'll probably just go to the grave with because i'm afraid, <laughs> afraid of telling anybody my ideas which is kind of hilarious um but yeah i mean the the part about you saying i want this this doesn't exist i'm sort of like building a thing that i would like to participate in i think that is like a great way to approach um, any sort of business idea or any sort of a, a venture because you're gauging demand and you're not the only person in the world that feels the way you do. I know that like all human beings want to feel like we're unique. Ultimately, we're not all that unique, right? Like if there's one of you, there's probably multiples of you that want to play in mixed games. So you're like their avatar, you're a proxy for them and they'll just naturally show up. And I think that's just a, a really smart way of doing business um you know understanding like this podcast for instance right like i consider myself a proxy for my audience right i want to know about i ask my guests the questions that i would like to know and right. then my audience identifies with that if they 
um, look at things through my lens, which if they're longtime listeners, they tend to, because we grab, we gravitate towards people that, that we're like. So anyway, um, I think you and I are peas in a pod in, in that way. And I'll also just add one little asterisk or one little wrinkle. It's like, so yes, you know, what Miriam had said, it's like, well, you better find a way to make money. True. There's always that underlying component, but at no point as much work as I did, did it feel like work, work, because I love doing, like I said, that, that whole thing of, it's something that I wanted to do. Well, then it's not like, oh, I have to do this. It's like, oh, I get to do this. I, of course, will spend another hour working on it or sending another email. It's some, it's what I want to do. It's not hanging over my head of, oh, like, you know, I got to add a whole to-do list kind of a thing. So I think that's just a, an important component. And, you know, how do you win in life is figure out a way to get people to pay you to do something that you love. So thankfully, I figured that out. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying I made coin, you know, but, but uh, you know, it, it was not, it was a uh, plus EV uh, on the financial side, as well as a whole bunch of other, uh, I would call it, you know, key performance indicators of, of the whole venture. Yeah. And something that people miss, I think, is that like money is a really poor driver for performance and it's a really poor driver to get things done. You need passion. You need to be exploring your curiosity. You need to be building a project. It has to matter to you. Um, mm -hmm. If the end goal is solely money, then you'll you'll burn out. It won't work. You'll be miserable throughout the whole process of you doing it. Um, it just doesn't work, which I think is counterintuitive to a lot of people. But like when you pursue something at a very high level because you're passionate about it and there is a demand for it, the money will come if you do it at a high level. That's just yeah. that's the side effect of pursuing your passion. For sure. And, and I go even further, like, you know, just to take this concrete example, now that it's in the rear view mirror, if someone were to tell me when I first conceived of it, that your bottom line at the end is X, you know, because, you know, considering the expenses and flying there and, you know, the whole deal, right? I mean, I, it's not like you know, there's a lot of overhead for this kind of thing. And I wanted to have coverage and a photographer, like all of these sorts of things. If this, you know, this is going to be your bottom line, you know, I'd be like, okay. So on the one hand, well, it doesn't seem all the amount of time for that money. There's not a really good correlation there. But again, that's not what's motivating me at all. Like I would still, I still would have done it. About, okay, at least I'm not losing, you know, and that's great because that means people enjoyed themselves, had fun, et cetera. Was it easier or harder than you thought it would be? There were parts that were easier and there were parts that were harder. It's a kind of a complex answer, but as a whole, it, when you first had the idea of like, oh, I'm going to do that. I want to do this thing. I really want to do it. I'd say harder because, you know, on paper, when you're in control of everything, then it's up to you, you know, just, you know, you do it, it's done. But when there are other parties involved, you never know how they're going to go and react and what sort of responsiveness they'll have. Uh, you know, you, you can only have a certain level of um, expectations of yourself and you can hope that other people will perform, you know, how, how you would do that particular job, but that's not always the case. So some of those things were a little harder for me conceptually, like realizing, okay, Robbie, they're not you. They're, you know, like they have their thing to do and, you know, you've got your thing to do. 
even when it's just me, maybe even especially when it's just me with all the responsibility, everything is always so much harder than I imagine it will be. Like mm. at, at the end of the project, I'm like, wow, I thought that was going to take me like a day. It took me like <laughs> two, two weeks. Like, I, I think I'm just like delusional and overestimating how quickly I can solve problems. But I'm actually grateful for that delusion because if I knew exactly how long and how hard everything was, I probably would never start anything to begin with. So yep. the delusion is almost like the catalyst to me getting shit done. Yep, yep. But like, like I said, though, you know, there, there's so much experience you've gained from doing things this first time. And if you ever have to do it again, you know, so you do it differently, you do it better and, and much more streamlined and, and, and GTO. And I, I already know that, you know, whenever the next festival is going to be, you know, still it won't be, you know, a completely smooth ride because, you know, it's just the nature of, of things and logistics and, and multiple parties working together. But um, it'll be a lot smoother than it was because I'll have learned some good and, and important lessons and, you know, I'll be saving time and effort on certain things that I know I won't need to invest etc. A little yeah. bit vague, but but you get what I'm saying. It parallels nicely into poker because I mm. I tweeted something a little while back and I stole a quote from a book and basically engineered it for poker. But basically what I tweeted was some people play a hundred thousand hands of poker and get a hundred thousand hands worth of experience. Mm. Other people play a hundred thousand hands of poker and get one hand's worth of experience a hundred thousand times. Um <laughs> And, I like I, and like, that's, you know, what you said there is like how playing poker ought to be. You go through an experience, you learn something, you reflect, you grow, you try to do better the next time. You don't just do it and then do it again the same way that you did. And sure. you know what I mean? There's this like learning iterative growth process in doing something once. It's why in poker, like you make a bad decision that costs you money. That is like, objectively, we can quantify this decision lost. Yes. You can make money from that over the long run by understanding why you lost, understand and not making the decision again in the future, or in recognition that other people are about to make that same mistake and exploiting that mistake in opponents you play against. So like in poker, you can make bad decisions that lose money, that ultimately win you money in the long run if you're cognizant and aware enough to reflect and understand what's going on. Correct. And you had mentioned at the you know start of the show, uh, you know, our, our good mutual friend, Jared Tendler, that's, you know, the essence of this inchworm concept from the mental game of poker book. Yeah. You know, both for mental game, obviously for the game of poker itself. And, and I find it in life. Uh, it, it's really good. You know, when you do something once or a second time, then it becomes ingrained and then you move on to the next thing that becomes uh, more of a challenge. So uh, yeah, that definitely, uh, definitely speaks to me. You know, I'm going to say something that will be both embarrassing to me and also <laughs> uh, mortify Mr. Tindler. I've never actually read The Mental Game of Poker, as as embarrassing as as that is for me to say out loud, but I, I actually haven't read, um, you know, the OG book on mental performance playing It's poker. not like your page-turner, John Grisham, Michael Crichton kind of book. Like, it's like, you have to study this. It takes a long time, and, you know, just investing... In our day and age, when we're just looking at our phones and our screens, and especially folks like you and I who are always producing content, it's the, the challenge of consuming content is difficult. Uh, but I, with this book specifically, you know, the, the fact that the word poker is there 
is almost happenstance. You know, he's got the mental game of trading and you know, the mental game of it. You know, to focus and hone your own mental game, I felt like the book would give me a lot of the sort of life skills and life uh, hacks, or you know, and and it certainly does. So uh, I would recommend that you read it, if not to improve your poker skills. Uh, and Jared did not pay me to say this, but it's the truth. It's a it's a it's a good book. Well, I mean, the poker world has embraced it wholeheartedly. Oh yeah, and it, I haven't I haven't even I haven't started or opened open the book and hilariously i have a signed copy of it on my bookshelf um, so <laughs> many, many apologies to mr tindler like you said it's a struggle consuming content and mm. especially a struggle for me having been a professional for most of my adult life if i'm going to consume content at the end of my day mostly it's like not poker related mostly it's going to be like some sort of fiction that just takes me away to some fantastical adventurous environment to just to legit. totally unplug you know but i mean yeah i mean i've also I, i've studied performance i've studied the mental side of sports i love psychology i've read other books on the subject um just not the mental game of poker specifically but i mean Yet, not yet. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, Robbie. I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow. Um, I'm like, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much to do. Like, yes. I've learned as I'm getting older, I've learned this that like, we have plans for life and we imagine a, a future in our mind's eye, and the reality is that future probably won't turn out the way we imagine, and. Mm -hmm. I've just sort of come to peace with that. I think yes. like what it, it's something that I really thought a lot about when um, yeah, my, my dad got sick and I thought a lot about how I imagined our relationship going in the future and realizing that like that sort of fan fantasy would never in actuality take place and making peace with that and realizing at the same time, that you only have so many opportunities in life and you only have so many opportunities to say no and to say yes. And it's a resource that is finite and it's on you to say yes, right? It's on you to be like, well, maybe I don't feel like doing something on Friday, but maybe I'll just do it anyway, right? Yeah. Um, and, and also to understand too, that there's a consequence. There's a consequence to saying yes. There's a consequence to saying no. And you just have to weigh those out and be at peace with the decision that you make. And ultimately, I think that's the point that I'm at in my life is like, yeah, things are not going to turn out the way that I imagine they will. And probably in any sense of any project that I ever work on. And like, that's okay. Maybe it'll be something totally different that just defies expectation that I couldn't anticipate. And like, that's a freaking awesome result as well right like they call it uh the they call it i think it's called the turn in uh like a fantasy novel when you know like mm. the uh what's the word i'm blanking on the word robbie like m night Shyamalan's movies they have a uh the twist it's the twist ah, okay yeah yeah the twist anyway any any thoughts on that just long monologue i just spewed out um Generally, I agree. You know, it's, it's so important. I mean, I, I guess we're of a similar age and I'm turning 40 very soon. Um, uh, and you got you to gotta carpe that diem. Carpe and that diem. You, you, you have to. And, and that's funny. Like, you know, to, to 
sort of put that back in the poker realm. I have that difficulty quite often when I take my poker trips to Las Vegas is, you know, I, I want to be, I want to clone myself and be everywhere at once and do everything. I would love to just be able to just push everything to the side and just play tournaments all the time. Cause I never, ever, 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 ever get the chance to do that. I play maybe one a year if I'm lucky and I would love to play more, but I say, well, okay, well, if you really want to scratch that poker itch, Robbie, just play cash games. Cause if, and when an opportunity would present itself, you can just pick up cash in your chips. If you have any left and, and go take advantage of that opportunity. And it's a, a genuine dilemma that I always have. Cause I want to play those tournaments by saying, and so many times it has happened that, you know, a meeting comes up where I get to, you know, sit with so-and-so and had I been stuck in the tournament, I don't, and I wouldn't just pick up and leave in the middle of a tournament. So, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a constant battle. It's a good one to, to have to have, but you know, when I'm there and also like, like, like you said, you know, I've got this business to run and, you know, I've got a podcast that I host, you know, with Cards Chat, or I've got the Orbit, you know, here, you got to fit those plugs in, you know, all these things that I do, or like I consult for some companies on the side. It's like, you know, you, you know, that phrase of, you know, your network is your net worth. Now, not that there's any sort of um, strategic way. I mean, I'm just a naturally extroverted, friendly kind of guy, but it, I would hate to have to look back and say, oh, you know, you stupid idiot, Robbie, you were sitting and playing in a tournament that either you did or didn't cash in or whatever and missed the opportunity to interview so-and-so or meet with so-and-so who would have ended up being a great, you know, contact, you know, for the next five years or so. So at this stage where I'm at, you know, the, the, the 40 stage, um, I think that kind of stuff is a much more worthwhile and important long-term use of my time. And, you know, here and there, I say, okay, you know what? Yeah, don't only do that because you know, only have so many opportunities to to play a bracelet event or, or or that sort of a thing. Especially, you know, considering your life and where you live, seventy five hundred miles away in Israel. Yeah, I'll I'm going to tell a story again that does not put me in the greatest of lights, but <laughs> this one, this one at least is like a, it's like a story that's influenced by the use of drugs <laughs> um so uh basically like at night there are times where i'll eat an edible because it helps me sleep at night um okay also i read unwind watch tv just and then pass out so the other night <laughs> the other night i have this app called lucid and it's basically um, books. It allows you, it gives you like the, the big overviews of books that you can consume in like an hour um, oh, wow. with like pictures and animations and like has a quiz, all these things. So like basically I open a book up, I'm laying on the couch. I open Sapiens up, right? And I, I'm going through this book and I'm like quoting, I'm like telling my wife, I'm like excited telling her quotes about things. I get to the end and I realize I've spent an hour reading the wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> so I read four thousand. Uh, I, I read four thousand weeks, and it's a book on productivity. Um, I was very confused as to why *Sapiens* was about productivity, but I didn't question no. it because the information was good. Um, wow, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, one of the major points in this book is. Peasants in Europe, do you know how many days they worked in a year? 
364. They worked half the days. So really? every year they, they worked half the calendar year. They had, other than that, you know, they spent time with their family. They had conventions. They had all the things. Um, and before, before uh, clocks were invented, uh, time wasn't viewed as a finite resource. Uh, productivity mm. wasn't really, a th it was much more abstract. There was just like a day and then another day and another wow. day and eventually you die. Um, right. So yeah, peasants in like 1200 BC or 12 to 1400, something like that, basically only worked half the days of the year. And basically the point of the book, one of the major points was like, nobody can live their life according to a perfect schedule and follow it every single day. And do you even want to do that? Is that even a life that you, you want to live? And basically an acceptance of like who you are today and what you love and just reconciling that like this vision you have of yourself, if you do check all the boxes and do everything perfectly, it's probably never going to happen. Like it, it just, it just doesn't. Um, and taking time for yourself to just exist, do something that you're passionate about for no reason other than doing it. Right. There's like so much value in that. And it just made me reflect a lot on how I spend my time and how like, I'll be like, ah, I want to go read this book, but it's kind of a waste of time because I could be doing X, Y, or Z with my business. And you, you we say that word, it's a waste of time. Right. When the reality yeah. is like, is doing something that you really want to do a waste of time or is it actually the best use of your time that you could have? I'm, I'm laughing because I literally asked myself that same exact question, I don't know, an hour ago. <laughs> Were you like, high? No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> but it was, you know, it's reflective of, um, you know, when I first started my site, cardplayerlifestyle.com, when I, <laughs> When I first started it, I created and, and produced and wrote all of the content, every single word for years, for six, seven years. And over the last few years, I've kind of like dialed that back. And I was like, okay, we've got all these freelance contributors to the point where I'm now producing maybe 10 to 20% of it. And I'm still monitoring the whole thing. And today, okay, the time came, I'm like, you know, I really want to write something. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's no way that financially speaking, that is the optimal use of my time. Again, there's a reason why I've scaled it back and other people can do it. And I do other things that are more worthwhile as far as my time. But I really want to write this. I really, really do. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to feel guilty. It's important. You know, go ahead and do it. And then you're going to feel great. And, you know, and that great feeling is really important sometimes and thankfully you know being my own boss i don't have to do this if i don't want to uh, i get to make these sorts of choices and you know if it really is like oh man you know you, you, you messed up you spent the whole day writing an article and you missed deadlines whatever okay lessons learned but when you do have that passion to do something specific yes you should go for it even if it's not in my opinion uh, even if it's not, um, you know, the most financially optimal move all the time. Yeah. It, it, it's hard. It's hard for me to get you to the paradigm of like doing something just for the sake of doing it. Right. Like even when you're writing an article, you're actually being productive. <laughs> you're, you're doing something that's, that does move the needle. Right. 
Correct. Like, oh, I have my, I have my downtime. Yeah. <laughs> I, I watch YouTube videos and Netflix and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> they're just, they're, I think there's a balance, right? Do you ever take a day where you just don't do anything? Absolutely. Once a week. Well, that's my Sabbath. This, um, right? That, that day counts. is programmed it in. It counts. It counts. Does though. it? It does. I'll tell you why. When was the last time that you did not look at your phone or a computer screen or get into a car or watch or, you know, something or even like turn on a light bulb, you know, for an entire 25 hour period? The last uh, unplugged day that I scheduled for myself, maybe a month ago or so. Okay. But and I do, I do drive. Like I, I will get in a car, okay. which. Okay. But I'm just saying like, Doing that alone, not that that's what the Sabbath is all about. That's part of the don'ts, but there's, and there's so many of the do's, but like, I imagine that when you said you scheduled it for yourself mm-hmm. and let's say you were 95% successful at it, you came out of that day probably feeling pretty darn good and refreshed and recharged in some way, shape or form. That's my hunch. It's always the case. Okay. Always. So when you've got that kind of like pre-programmed, you know, Orthodox Jew here that I observe the Sabbath. Yeah, that's exactly what it does. And I always have a really cool thing because I know Friday is my finish line, right? And I always like push the gas as hard as I can because I know my foot must come off the pedal and my Sabbath comes and I embrace that wholeheartedly. And just what happens while I'm offline and here very present with my family locally in my community and, you know, going to synagogue and having meals and seeing friends, it the, the re, it's almost like my phone is plugged in and you know, I'm being recharged while that's happening. So I definitely have, I mean, no, Sabbaths are busy and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, but it's a very different kind of busy. And I am ready to just like, you know, jump right back into it Saturday night. And, you know, it's nice because, you know, the, the poker world is kind of sort of on break a little bit and Sunday morning is very easy. I catch up with everything. What did I miss? Here and there, you have a press release that was issued after my Sabbath begins, which is very frustrating. But once a week, it's a, it's an amazing gift, and, I, and I'm exceptionally thankful for it. I think everybody should have at least some sort of block in their daily life where they're just unplugged from everything. I think, it, it like you said, exceptionally rejuvenating. It clears yeah. your mind. It You don't have as much stress. You don't have as much pulls on your attention. It's just the rejuvenation quality of it is kind of off the charts. And mm-hmm. when you're surrounded by things designed to grab your attention, you don't get an opportunity to experience it, or it's very, very rare. Right. And not to get into a whole, you know, religious discussion or anything, but I always say, you know, again, as someone who's observant, if, you know, God and his glory could manage to create the entire world in six days and then create this idea of rest for one day after that, Robbie, you can manage to get your stuff done in six days too and embrace that rest, you know, just a sort of like a modern day acceptance of, of what I do. Yeah. Like, yeah, it makes sense, you know, in a way. In a religious way, though, they're God. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I said, it's a whole religion thing. But, that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's not like I just, you know, blindly observe or anything. I'm aware of what I'm doing. I'm very, very happy to do that. Right. I mean, there's reasons for rest because you can actively rest and rest can be productive. I mean, in mindset, uh, I run a program a few times a year called elite and 
one problem that is very common amongst high-performing poker players is they don't want to rest. They don't want to take a day off from playing poker. Mm. They feel lazy. They feel like they could be more productive. They feel like they could do something. And I told them like, look, you go to the gym, right? You go to the gym four or five days a week. You do leg day. The next day you wake up. Do you feel sore? Yes, right? Mm -hmm. What if you did leg day and you felt like halfway sore and you didn't have anything else scheduled and you're like, like, would you do leg day again? No, because your body needs to rest. Like it needs active rest so that it can recover. Well, the mind, the spirit needs the same exact thing. And so like, that's the paradigm in which to look at it. So like active rest, I think makes, um, just basically spins it in a way that people can justify taking time doing nothing and feel better about it because like, you, you know, you're actively doing something. So right. there's like this productive quality, but the reality is- so it's, just, almost, it's almost an oxymoron. We say active rest, but that's exactly what it is. You hit it on the nail. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And preflop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know that that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another. Kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post boot camp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re- really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now, you know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. 
If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month, and your link to join is chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. So you get your festival going, right? Yeah. Seeing it, seeing it with your eyes, experiencing this idea that you had manifest in reality. How'd that feel? Amazing. <laughs> Look, I'm like, I don't know if people are li- if they're listening, they can't see me. I am just beaming right now. And that's exactly how it felt. I mean, each day it was kind of like you're building, you know, unintentionally. I didn't realize it would happen like this, but kind of built to a crescendo like the first day where I'm there and I see all the swag came in from all the different suppliers and starting to hand things out and you get one table going it goes for 16 18 hours a 4-8 mix game and then the second table opens so next day you start with two tables at 11 a.m right and you got you know your, your special guest celebrity guests come you know Dylan Lindy's doing his book signing Elliot Lezra's come. like all these things all the plans it's come it's like wow it's really happening it's really cool. I even when I just checked in and walked into the Westgate, I'm like, I am not going to see the light of day until Friday morning. And I'm totally cool with that. Like, I didn't leave the building. Actually, Thursday night after it was over. And then Wednesday, a third 4-8 mixed game, dealer's choice. They're like, wait, wait, I've never seen that before. Three 4-8 dealer's choice mixed games going, you know, for hours and hours on end. And then the fourth day, truly the pinnacle, where I was like, wow. I filled up this room. We sold out 124 people, 15 tables, eight-handed horse. Not again. I know it wasn't only me. It takes a village, and it was all. But like, you know, damn, we did it. We put the butts in the seats, and then to top it all off, you know, how good does Robbie run? That you know, freaking Greg Raymer wins the <laughs> wins the platinum pass. It's like, uh, you know, with with all due respect to the 123 other players, that is the best outcome for me. it is like it just it makes my job so much easier i don't need to like you know record i mean like yeah everyone knows greg raymer greg raymer poker stars you may know each other go ahead talk to each you know the platinum pass thing um and you know however many of these things i end up doing hopefully many in the years to come i can always say well you know you heard of greg raymer he won the first one and you know uh, we get a dozen articles the next day that doesn't happen if you know jim bob from kentucky uh, wins with all due respect and we love the dream of Jim Bob Kentucky. <laughs> with all due you know, respect to Jim Bob. We love Jim Bob when we love Kentucky, you know, and we, you know, I met like, was very cool also is because, you know, I was basically present the entire time. I knew, I personally knew and had met three quarters, 80% of the field. You know, like some people I, you know, only just showed up that day and I knew it in advance, but like, you meet these people who had come in, you know, I've been like a couple folks. I remember Rodney and Brenda, shout out, you know, uh, sorry, Ronnie and, and his mother, Brenda. And they came out specifically for this festival. They didn't come out for the World Series. They came out to play in my festival and they wanted to just play, you know, have many hours they could to enter the tournament with the double stack, you know, because there was like a whole uh, hybrid thing there. And it's just like so incredibly fulfilling and satisfying and like, wow, we, you know, we really did it. We pulled it off. Poker Stars is happy. Westgate was happy. All the players are happy. You know, I'm like giving out T-shirts in the middle. And, 
you know, just the feedback was just so awesome. I really, really was thriving on it. And, um, you know, it, it's funny, like, it's, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since it's happened and, you know, I'm aware of it and I've tried hard to like take the time on the Sabbath, for example, and have it process. But this is quite frankly, you know, here on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, the first time that I've spoken at length about it. Damn, it, it was amazing. Thank you for asking. And I'm going to ask a silly question. Five dollars. Since you did, you, did you play? <laughs> did you play in this tournament that you built? For yourself? No, I did not. Uh, I played a lot. I probably played more than 40 hours of cash games over the previous three days. Yeah. Because uh, you can, you know, kind of do double duty as the host and, you know, playing at the same time. Um, during the tournament, that would have been a very stupid move for like, I could laundry list the reasons for you. One of them is just, I don't like lighting $200 on fire, even though, even, you know, I may have a chance. But like, that's stupid. That's not what I was there to do. I'm there to, to host. Like, literally on the T-shirts, it said, you know, Mixed Game Festival hosted by Robbie Straczynski. Like, what the hell is the host doing playing? Sorry, like, I, I don't know the place, that that's... The place, because the, the host loves to play. That's why. Correct. But, <laughs> but like, there's a specific role and, and set of responsibilities and duties that I'm there to fulfill. And at least if I, in that tournament, if I was busy playing it would be very shirking those responsibilities and you know considering a whole bunch of stuff that went on during the tournament who's giving out the swag who is meeting and greeting who's you know these would are, you like a picture with with greg raymer you know that kind of a thing this, so, these are problems you solve for next time so that you can battle in your own tournament robbie correct get absolutely. somebody to solve these logistical well, things well, I'll, again, nothing's set in stone and, you know, we're very far away from making any sorts of announcements or anything, but uh, why just one tournament? Maybe I won't be playing in the main one at the end, but maybe there will be other tournaments that I will participate in, well, for example. Yeah. You, you can't protect the idea anymore. It's out there. You've already, it's, <laughs> it's out into the world. So I assume because of how happy you are in the experience and everything you're saying, you do plan on doing another one of these in the future. You're damn right. Um, and uh, I, I want to say at the very least, and I, you know, I could, nothing's 100%, but like at the very least, I want to do at least one per year in Las Vegas right before or during the World Series, because that just makes all the sense in the world. And quite frankly, you know, now I've got a thing. I've got, you know, all of this documentation of what was done and hopefully we could go to, you know, Joe Bob in Kentucky or you know, any poker room, you know, around the States or the real world of like, you know, mixed game fans are everywhere. And this hasn't happened. Would you be interested in working with me? You know, folks, if you're managing a poker room and you hear me, you've never heard of me before. There's mixed game festival. You like it. Reach out. Robbie at cardplayerlifestyle.com. Let's talk turkey. And uh, you know, I, I would love to, to bring this to people who, you know, I, I just some guy, Martin, a friend of mine in Malta. Uh, he's like, oh, please bring it to Malta. You know, you have a bunch of people in the UK, bring it here. Like, you know, in, in principle, it could have, anyone could just put it together, but that what was missing, you know, this critical component of the festival, I believe that there is this thirst, this hunger, you know, to use two uh, eating metaphors <laughs> for, for, um, for mixed games, but it's that critical mass of people that need to get together. You have an interest list. There's always one person, two people. They're never there at the same time. 
But if you can manage to bring them all together in the first place, a game will break out and it'll last forever. You know, right. like the, people love these games. So, um, yeah, I definitely want to have more of them. Uh, and now it's just a matter of, you know, a great problem to have striking the balance where, when, how, how do I manage, you know, with, with family commitments here and, and doing the travel. So uh, a new avenue has opened up. I'm thrilled about it. And, uh, you know, whenever the next one happens, I'm already excited about it. Right. They, they need you to be the catalyst that has a passion for doing something yeah. like this to yeah. be the, the glue that holds everybody together. Right. That's, that's what the festival needs. What's your, sorry, what were you going to say? Not so, I was just going to compare it to like a home game. You know, so many times like here, you know, what I have got two home games that I plan and, you know, for many years, it was always the case. Well, if Robbie's not putting the home game together and all, you know, all those logistics of, oh, you know, you're playing and who's playing all these questions and where's it going to be and what this thing, all that stuff. If that's not happening, right, the home game doesn't occur. And that was very annoying for a long time. It's like, why can't I just be one of those guys who like, oh, okay, great, great, I'll come to the game. Like, that's it. That's all you have to do is show up, right? But you know, if you want it to happen. So yeah, and, and I, in a way that kind of was like the precursor to like the, all this organizational ability, so to speak. Like I, I do kind of enjoy doing that. And this is obviously on a much larger scale, but yeah, hell, you know, I, I still get to, if I, if I didn't get to play at all, then we'd have a problem. You know, so I, I'm happy I get to play in my events and play in the cash games and mingle. It's really, um, they're really, really thriving there. I'll, I want to offer my thoughts on something you just said because it resonates with me deeply cool. about being sort of the connector, the organizer mm-hmm. that gets things together and feeling frustration when like you just don't want that responsibility sometimes, you know, you just want somebody else to handle it. Um, yeah. I've been that way pretty much my entire life. And mm-hmm. I came to the conclusion that the way I am and the way you are is ultimately a gift for bringing people together. And the reality is, yeah, that wouldn't happen without you, but all those people wouldn't get together and have joyful memories and have fun with each other without you either. And so ultimately you're the one who's got the gift of making it happen and organizing it. And from that paradigm, I think it it kind of shifts the way we think about it from being like an annoying thing to being like, wow, I'm actually kind of a blessing to these folks, right? Um, I'm I'm not going to disagree. It's, it's um, thanks for saying that and, and including me in in thoughts like those. Um, it's a it's a cool feeling to have. Um, yeah, and like you said, the idea is out there. In the strictest sense, there's nothing you know preventing someone else from doing it, but you know, there's the fact it ain't happening. So if, if that is what my role ends up being, if that's the, the mission and that, and that sort of a thing, yeah, happy to embrace it and uh, you know, ho- hopefully live up to the types of things that you said. Ideas are great. Execution's what matters. And ultimately, yeah. it takes a lot of passion to execute. I mean, think about, you know, what you said, right? If you were to look at like the end result monetarily, you'd be like, wow, I did a lot of work for this much money. I don't know if this really moves the needle, right? The only way to get to that point is to have passion because anybody that's in it for like just the monetary resources, they're going to be like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm going to go do something else. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, we'll we'll make more next time, believe me, but uh, hopefully, but but, uh, yeah, you are. Um, Tell me what's your 
feeling about the pulse of this WSOP, having been there in this October, probably, well, hopefully once in a lifetime, October WSOP? It's a kind of a, a complex answer, but overall, I would say good, positive, different, and good. You know, it's, it's you know, it's because it's, it's not, a, the, the second good is not repetitive. You know, it's like, it's, you know, I, I was there on the first day. I arrived September 30th. That's when I landed there. And, you know, you know, the lines were long. Like, it's almost like there was ring rust in a way. And, and of course, all of these unexpected problems because unforeseen labor short, or not foreseen, foreseen, and, they, you know, they tried to do what they could, but, you know, there's a limit. You know, if anyone wanted a job, they could get one as a dealer, you know, but like they, they did put it out there. But they didn't know, nobody knew, like this is, no one has ever faced this sort of a problem. The World Series, like, you know, with everything that we said about it, it puts on the biggest, largest, grandest, you know, insert, you know, uh, adjective kind of uh, event every single year. And because of that, they, by definition, experience the most issues, challenges, problems, et cetera. So this, as much as they've done in, you know, 50 plus years of operations, they've never had you know, what, what does a, a pandemic World Series of Poker look like? I think they did, they performed admirably. You know, people, you know, we, we all like to complain, we, you know, and to be sure there are problems, but, you know, they've owned up to it. They've gotten better. The lines are a lot less long than they had been um, and, and glitches will still happen. So on the organizational side, I'd say they've done quite legitimately the best they could do. And I think they're performing admirably. I think also... There's, there was very much, let's not forget this, you know, now we're, you know, almost a month in, very much a, a real sense of, oh, we are just so happy to have a World Series of Poker as players to be back. And because of that, there's much more of a sense of understanding and, okay, we get it, Mr. Dealer, this is literally your first week on the job and you've, we're going to help you, right? And these dealers are still, you know, working a month later and they've gotten better. Um, so I think there's a lot of camaraderie, a lot of goodwill. Um, the fact that they made it a um, uh, a proof of vaccine kind of event, you know, again, in, in a sense, everyone's sort of in that same boat. We all had to wait in that line and get our, our vaccine proved and, and, and cleared by WSOP. And we're there and we're enjoying ourselves and we're suffering those bad beats. And we don't mind listening to a bad beat story. It's been two years since I've heard a bad beat story, you know. So I think the vibe is overwhelmingly a very positive one, even though the numbers are down. I think it was very realistic to expect numbers to go down by 20%, 30%. Internationals haven't come. Uh, you know, I'm an American citizen. I can come from Israel, come and go kind of a thing. But, you know, unless you're stopping in somewhere in Canada or in Mexico or some other country for two weeks, if you're international, you're not at the World Series. The so numbers are down. You know, those who didn't want to do the vaccine thing, they can't go, you know, to attend. And yet, you know, however many people there were, they have not had an issue of, oh, well, we don't have another dealer. We're not, we're not capped. You know, they've had the room for everything. So like I said, a, a, a little bit of a lengthy, complex answer, but overall, very positive, good vibe. The excitement is there. The stories that are emerging when you look at, you know, poker news, poker go, all the different media that's coming out there. It's like, this is exciting stuff. The, the folks who are winning bracelets, uh, you know, the triumphs and, and, Damn, you know, didn't we miss this for, for a year and a half or two years? It is really cool uh, to participate, to play, to attend. And even if you're not attending, to have that back in our lives again 
uh, as a World Series, just as, as poker fans who enjoy this game. Uh, overall, very net good thing. Yeah, I, I've fallen into the trap that annoys me from bystanders sometimes of like mm. sitting back and sniping. But I do realize, <laughs> I do realize the logistical nightmare, and it's not something that I would personally want to undertake ever in my life. So good on them for, I mean. I guess they have to undertake it. They have no choice. But I mean, it's, it's a difficult problem. Like there's a lot of issues this year that they've never experienced before. And they're they're learning and try, hopefully trying to do the best that they can. That's at least my hope is that they're trying to do the best they can. Right. And I even go one step further as well. Like uh, you know, a friend of mine, Will Shillabier, you know, he works for Poker News. Uh, this actually just happened today. I want to make sure I read it correctly because this is just you know quite true. He writes, you know, I see that it only took half the World Series for the let's crap on poker news takes to creep out of the woodwork, right? And immediately my response to him is pay no attention to them. The poker news team is doing stellar work. 99.9% of, of people who publicly complain have absolutely no idea how hard you all work and what type of skill, energy, and resilience it takes to do what you all do. Keep it up. And that could be applied to, of course, anyone working at the World Series. If you've never been in those shoes and you've never done it before, clam up, you know, or, or say it privately, be constructive in nature. Just to sit and complain from the sidelines, like, well, what are you doing? You know? uh, I disagree. I think, there's val I think there's value in complaining from a customer standpoint. Because ultimately, okay. people that play at the WSOP are customers, and they deserve to have a good product. Um, okay. a good experience. And so I, I think that especially you're paying lots of money to play in tournaments and like, there are some things that can happen that should be complained about. And I think that that mm -hmm. press, pressure from outside forces, um, ultimately is beneficial to improving the product of the WSOP. And if nobody ever mm -hmm. complained about anything, then basically I think they would try to get away with whatever they could get away with, which that's a fair take. It yeah. isn't good either. I think. That's a, fair, that's a fair take, and, and I think you're right. I mean, I'll, specifically on the poker news thing, I think that, you know, what I said is still valid because, you know, poker yeah, no I don't know. Poker, you know? I, I don't but, know who's but, complaining about poker news. I'm talking about just the, the <laughs> tournament yeah. itself. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is fair. And, you know, I, again, I do think that they're trying. And again, like, it's almost impossible to have any sort of comparison. Like, you know, like take your EPTs, your WPTs, you know, your mid stakes poker to all this stuff nothing you know is even close to the scale of the world series of poker so they're really you know, they are the 800 pound gorilla of the industry and, and you know i do think they try to you know think that they respond and yeah you know there's going to be things that that are worthy of complaint um but to be fair you know just give them a fair shake as well you know it, it's 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 often problems that you know, can't be foreseen or, or, or that, you know, they, they can't necessarily learn uh, from other examples of that. I, I, but again, you, you are correct that sometimes complaints are warranted. Maybe we have issue with the way the complaining is done. Maybe we can split airs on that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, I, so I haven't looked at any structure. All I know is like, there are people that have voice complaints about structures of tournaments and Aaron Kessler. <coughs> sorry, sorry. No, not, not Kessler. I, I oh, okay. his, um, his takes on things. <laughs> so 
I don't want Alan Kessler. I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't want to be disrespectful to Alan Kessler with what I'm about to say, but I have a very few handful of people whose opinions I genuinely respect that mm. I believe are looking at things objectively, not super emotionally, and are just basically seeing uh, reporting on how they view things. And okay. there are some questions about like the rake structure of tournaments. I know that like over time. They've um, given people more chips, but like doubled the blinds, which is like effectively the same silly tournament thing, but just to like right. play, placate somebody. Like, I think there are some things that like have been done that I don't think are the greatest, but also if you're the 800 pound gorilla in the room, mm. right. And you're running this mammoth festival that isn't seen anywhere. Well, you have a lot of responsibility to run it well, right? right? Like, right. so you do have to accept that responsibility. It's kind of a cop out to be like, well, nobody else is doing this. So like, uh, you know, of course we're going to make mistakes, but it's like, yeah, of course they're not. But like the NFL is the only national football league. Does their products right. suffer? <laughs> like, no, they have a deep responsibility to offer right. year after year, the best product they're capable of. Right. To be fair, I said that. WSOP did not say that. So <laughs> I don't know what WS. <laughs> No, no, he, that, <laughs> about, well, about like because I, I was the one who gave him the cop out. That's all I'm saying. But oh, like, I, they'll I'll take the cop out though. In. They'll take the cop out because that's what <laughs> that they deflect blame and responsibility, right? No, I think that's what that's know. what organizations do. I, I, I don't know. I can't. I, I, I can't speak to that necessarily. I, you know, I, I know they. I'll, I'll give you an example. But let's just, you know, again, not, not, not that it's exactly the same thing, but I saw Jack Effel, you know, we all know he's the vice president of the World Series of Poker. I saw him in the halls and I was like, oh, I wanted to go over to him and just say something. And what I saw, you know, I just like, I was like, oh, I need to sit back and just watch this. And I, you know, no one's ever going to tell this story. So I'm going to say it because I think it's a very important story to be told. I just sitting on a bench and I, he was basically helping a woman who wanted to play in the events and she couldn't figure out the clear app and how to register and do the proof of vaccination thing. And you know, here you have the vice president of the World Series of Poker taking the time when he clearly could have a thousand other things to do to ensure that this woman gets the proper customer service and can go and play and do. And it was probably a good 10 minutes. Now, on the one hand, someone's going to go and say, you know, what the hell? Why can't some other clerk go ahead and do it? But the fact is, I know Jack, Jack cares and Jack will take those 10 minutes and, and, and make sure you know, that, that this person has a good positive experience because, you know, if not, they'll just walk out of there and never come to the World Series again and have horrible things to say. So he does, you know, and I do believe, again, the people that I do know who work for the organization, we say WSOP, it, it is made up of people. Um, you know, it's, it's no, there are no angels, but there's certainly no devils necessarily. Like they're people, we're human, we, you know, we have, we have emotions, but I do believe they deeply care um, about the work that they do and they do try earnestly to do, you know, a very good job. So yeah. just, I want to put that out there. Sure. It, it, I think it's a good anecdotal story. And I, I think mm. they care. I think lots of, or, I think most organizations care. Um, mm -hmm. I, I genuinely like the people that, that make them up. A lot of things are just like sort of process issues that mm. manifest in bad user experience. I mean, a, another anecdotal story about WSOP comes from WSOP.com in new jersey a friend of mine uh you know bought into like a 1k event um he's in jersey and he's playing it's like a bracelet event and the ip location software just malfunctions and says he's not in jersey he can't yeah. get in touch with customer service by the time he gets back on the site he's got one big blind 
Yep. And he busts out shortly thereafter and has nobody to talk to, yep. nobody to voice his frustration to. I mean, he's asking me the whole time and I'm like mining my network to find like somebody who's in support that can help this person get back in the tournament. And then he busts out and hears nothing else about it, like sends an email about any compensation or anything and never receives any word from anybody anywhere. Right. So, you know, which that to me, again, it's an anecdotal story, but it also is the, the flip side of like, correct. What happened there and somebody's responsible. And to me, that doesn't seem right from a customer perspective. You are not wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. So ultimately, I think like they they just take the good with the bad, and the the feedback is a mechanism that hopefully allows them to improve their processes to make a better product over time, and just a necessary part of it. Um, I, I hope so. I also think there's something to be said for public feedback too, and I say that for as someone who like basically you ever had the, these this problem with a company, you call them, you're on support. You're on hold, nothing gets resolved. And then you finally, you're like seeing red. And I go to my computer and I start tweeting at them, tagging oh, them. Oh yeah. You get a, boom, you get a response instantly, right? Why? Yep. There's social pressure for them to solve the problem. There's not social pressure if nobody's talking about it publicly. So I do think there is a place for publicly expressing opinions to get the attention of these companies. You don't want that bad PR. Like you want to solve these problems and they need pressure else they got they got other problems that they're working on so for them to prioritize something they need to be incentivized to do so i would say again you're not wrong but i i I do think you know when i said there's a time and a place i agree but i don't know if we would necessarily agree on what the time or where the place would be uh you know because um loudly uh, and well yeah that's what i'm saying (laughs) so so for okay here's one for you a couple years back Again, not an anecdotal story, but you know, it's it's the actual truth of what happened. There was uh, a number of players who were talking about marked cards at the WSOP, and people were just like screenshotting it and tagging WSOP and the whole. And I was thinking to myself, they must be aware, right? But the way that so many mostly professional players were going about it, they were just like crapping all over them. And I'm like, well, if I'm the WSOP, if I'm the brand, you know, would I respond? Like, you're only just going to dig yourself into some sort of a deeper hole. So I went and I privately wrote an email to someone in the staff. And I kind of said, hey, you guys must be aware of this stuff. Just out of curiosity, are you doing any about it? Right. And like the first line, like I got a response almost instantly, like 20 minutes later. The first line was like, this type of email we will reply to. You know what I mean? Like it was, you know, someone who I knew and because I approached them, like I said, like a mensch, you know, like a, like a just a decent human being. It's not those professionals know exactly who that individual was, could have gone up to that individual and say, hey, there's an issue. But they chose the road of publicly shaming and lambasting and vulgar lewd language, all that kind of stuff. Like, what, you know, why? So and he told me, yes, we are dealing with it and new decks of cards are going to be, you know, brought in and we're, you know, the whole thing, like a proper right answer. I was like, OK. And I didn't go and, you know, go ahead and publish that because I know that they're they're getting their work done. They saw it, they were. But like, I don't know, I, I think a little bit more decorum is sometimes appropriate. And yes, you know, there is a time and a place to publicly go, you know, and, and do that sort of thing. But I, I do believe in kind of like going the private route first and, and giving them a chance. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it doesn't always work, though. Yeah, private route, private route's tough. And 
I, I think, I don't know. I mean, to me, if my customers were lambasting me, I would probably respond. <laughs> Even if they're being angry um, and calling me names, try to resolve the issue quickly. I think from like a public relations standpoint, that seems like a better way to deal with it than to not respond at all. Um, and if really, I think that a lot of times in poker media or even in running poker organizations, they don't always have a genuine awareness as to the trials and tribulations of the poker player themselves. And it's a disconnect between um, the pe the organizers and the players. And I would just say that like, as somebody that's been in this industry my whole adult life, right? The UB scandal was discovered because players publicly figured it out and proved that super using was going on and presented it publicly. There were many emails sent to Ultimate Bet about the issue. It was not investigated one time because the incentive was not to reveal that there was a super user for UB. And so they were not going to budge, right? So in poker, we've had to police lots of things ourselves and we have yes. to take care of ourselves first and foremost because organizations have just shown over time they tend not to take care of the player um and that's sort of where the the poker players perspective comes from of like yeah i could show these mark cards to somebody they're not going to say anything they're not going to fix it they're going to bury it because it's better for them to bury it so i'm just going to blast them publicly because that's the only thing that we we've, we've learned moves the needle in a lot of these cases so i mean it's it's a it's a tough relationship and there's no like i don't know of a way to fix it to open the communication channels to get things mm -hmm. resolved um so I i'll I'm, agree that you know there's and i'm not even being diplomatic here, like there is a ton of validity uh to what you're saying I, I just think you know you and i have slightly different approaches to it but i don't think yours is necessarily and by definition a wrong one there's a lot of validity to it yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not even necessarily saying I do this. Like the approach, right? Yeah, the the approach. I would say though that like, when somebody pays twenty five k, twenty five thousand dollars to play in a heads up tournament, and they are noticing yeah. marked cards and nobody's responding to them, that's a problem. Yeah, I'm probably going to say some choice words publicly about the brand, the tournament, the organization. Um, I'm going to just yell and yell and yell and yell, and yeah. I think that's appropriate and mm -hmm. pretty obvious um and for an organization not to respond i mean i guess that's that's on them okay sure uh, p pivoting ever so slightly what i will say is something that i noticed on the ground there is that anything related to the higher buy-in events it seemed to me just from the onlookers media standpoint that they you know that that high roller or a higher buy-in crowd was I don't want to say given higher priority or anything, but treated better, meaning they didn't have brand new dealers there. You know, they, sh and, they, sh they shouldn't have brand new dealers. Correct. And and, and I agree, like it, they are deserving of a higher level of attention to be paid than the, you know, the, the Colossus or whatever you want to call it. Because like you said, they're just paying more, you know, like a, like a business class or a first class seat on an airplane. It's, it's only natural. And, and I, you know, I did witness that that was the case. And you know, even when you're watching Daniel Negreanu's vlog, you know, he's talking about, you know, everything, you know, it's, we're happy to see each other. Everything's pretty smooth, you know, on, on that front as far as those tournaments. At least, again, I'm not playing in them, but that's what I saw. So. Well, 
you're paying for a more expensive product, basically. Yep. Like mm-hmm. when you when you're buying into sure. the 25k, and I mean, I, I think I think that any sort of belief that all dealers should be perfectly trained for an event like the Colossus, I think, is not correct because you have to understand the economics of the situation like a tournament that a festival that's ran one time a year you obviously need lots of staff these people are not just going to quit their job working at the card room down the street to come deal for one month at the wsop they like the labor has to manifest somehow and so this is just how it happens and so that sort of thing i think is just natural and it's just how the world works economically Sure. And I even I played at a one three table and it was almost not laughable, but it was just it was just really funny. Like and we were very kind, you know, and, and this is just hold them. Right. And we were helping out the dealer and like she just sort of offhandedly mentioned, yeah, I usually work in roulette. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, and, and, and I get it because like, look, they even closed, you know, Caesars, they closed down, you know, the, the Flamingo and Bally's poker rooms like they consolidated. They brought in whoever they could. They wanted to make sure they had the capacity. So they retrained. Hey, we're going to, you know, take you away from roulette so that you can deal poker. And I, I think that was, you know, creative. They, they worked with whatever they had. But it was just kind of funny of like, well, OK, we should be aware we've got a roulette dealer dealing to us, you know, <laughs> a group BA. Yeah, I mean, and. I mean, this is just the reality of things, but uh, hopefully by next summer, things will get better on all fronts. I doubt it. I doubt it. I mean, they'll get better (laughs) on some fronts, but I mean, the the overarching problem of like not having enough trained staff will always be the case for the WSOP, I think, forever until the end of time. Just, I mean, you can't, it's hard otherwise. Um, But uh, I guess we'll wind down now it's been a great round three conversation with you mr straczynski you it's been a while good catching up hearing about your mixed game madness um over the last few weeks <laughs> that was actually one of the alternate names <laughs> yeah. I, I i had another one. i could say i could kind of say it because we're not going to use it now uh originally it was conceived as the dealer's choice extravaganza i was like <laughs> i really like that name right but I didn't want to run into problems with like the Venetian because they've got like their deep stack extravaganza. Or it was like, you don't want to like step on anyone's toes. I was like mixed game festival, you know, plain and simple. And, you know, so. Venetian owns yeah. enough in this world. They don't own the word extravaganza. Robbie, you can, you can <laughs> borrow extravaganza. They haven't trademarked that. I know, but yeah. <laughs> Shout um, out to Mark Selby again, who put that uh, mixed game festival together. Plain and simple, nice and easy. And um, we'll close by asking what projects you're working on right now that are near and dear to your heart. Getting over jet lag um, is a very big project I am working on and I am losing the battle, man. It's 10 hours of time. When I go east, it is just, you know, it's bad. But this one in particular has been worse. I know it's a funny answer, but that's really what's taking up a lot of my time. Um, honestly, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult to quantify. Part of it is, you know, when you're on the ground there, um, and, and thank you for this opportunity, I appreciate it. Um, oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, and it always is, it's true, you know, three, three, this is the third very, very enjoyable conversation with you, Brad, thank you. Um, so, you know, three weeks when you're on the ground, you put a lot of effort, and I made sure I left here with a completely clean desk and I got there, when you're there, you're very present, right? And you have to be. And when that's happening, a lot of stuff kind of gets shunted off and pushed off till later. This is less important. This is less important. So 
there's no, I wouldn't say one specific thing that I'm working on, but the overarching theme of, you know, what I'm trying to do with my days and with my time right now is there's a little bit of kind of like putting out the small fires. There's a little bit of just, you know, the regular day-to-day getting back into it and making sure we're, you know, up to date on everything. Doesn't sound so sexy, but it's, you know, it's, it's the real part of the job. And the kind of like the wheels that are spinning in the back of my head, you know, are, okay, how do I now move forward now that I've got the Mixed Game Festival under my belt and that's a thing, and I've got this, you know, newly upgraded site, what now needs to take, you know, priority as far as my attention? How do I, I don't say begin to scale, but like, like, you know, going back to those things we mentioned earlier of like, what is most deserving of my time, not just from a financial point, but yeah, to that degree as well. And if there's, you know, there's only a certain amount of room on my plate, how do I still manage to get those other things done? How do I outsource, grow, hire other people, that sort of a thing to still manage to be on top of everything. So it's a lot of personal growth for me. Um, And as far as like all of my different activities of like, how do I, you know, learn and and all that sort of thing. So it's a little bit of a vague answer, but um, it's, it's, somewhat of a transitory kind of time um, where I'm trying to get a handle of all that. And there's just so much I want to do and only so, so many hours in the day. So I'm trying to use them wisely. Also make sure I've got those times to, you know, watch the, the odd YouTube video here and there and, and, and consume. Um, 4,000 so yeah, weeks, 4,000 weeks, 4,000 <laughs> weeks, Robbie, 4,000 weeks. <laughs> I, I have to say, like, do you have time for one more little anecdotal story? Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, just you mentioned about like the wrong book that you know, there's a lot of goofs and, and things that happen. Um, shout out to Peter Olson. Uh, he wrote the only way to play it. Uh, it's his uh, newest book about a poker player. Uh, a great fictional story, very very cool. And you know, I was we were going to produce a review of this book for Card Player Lifestyle. So I was going to, oh, great, I'll read it myself, right? So I get the book and I'm reading it. I'm reading it. I'm like, what the hell does this, you know, here and there, like every, every 15 pages is like something to do with poker. And I'm just like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And like at some point, and I could just get going on and on and on. And I was like, oh my God, it's a, it's a digital book that he sent me. And like the cover was the right cover, but it's the wrong book. And I'm like, oh shit, right? <laughs> no, wait. Wait, so I apologize. I wrote him back an email and I'm like, Peter, I am so sorry. I met, you know, like I didn't, I didn't, because I, I gave him my word. I wanted to review the thing. And I said, okay. And then he sends the right book and I'm like reading like the first few pages. I'm like, oh, this is a poker book. Okay, great. Okay, now uh, things came up and I had to focus on other things. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and outsource, outsource this one. Um, and uh, Amanda Botfeld, who I believe was also on your, uh, on your podcast as well. Um, an old girl's guide to poker. She wrote that really wonderful lady. And I got to meet her in person, uh, you know, accidentally. We were both signed up on the waiting list for the next poker table. It was really cool. Um, so I was like, Amanda, do you want to review this book? She says, sure. So I sent her the, uh, I sent her the book. And, uh, you know, weeks later, whatever it is, you know, this review comes back to me and I see the review. I'm like, oh my God. You said the wrong, the wrong book. book. Oh, no. <laughs> when all said and done, and like I read, I'm like, what book did you read? And she says, she's, and she says, I couldn't get it either. 
I'm, I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, I was like, fool me once, shame on you. But like, I was like, oh my God, like, how do you make the same mistake twice? It was on me. And like, again, it's because the cover was correct. It was some weird, like, e file. Finally, it all ended up okay. And I apologize to Peter again at this point. We're just laughing because it's hilarious. Finally, and of course, I had to, you know, of course, I'm going to pay Amanda again. You know, she spent her time. So she reviewed the book. We got it out. And and, and I said, Peter, we did it. So we, he, I was, and he, he wrote back like the sweetest, nicest email to me. It was just like, what book it was, just, was it? It was a matter of principle. It was called The Only Way to Play It. Uh, the no, other book the was fake The book. Vig. The, the Vig. Which I think he he also wrote, but it had not like really not a completely different type of story about uh, a guy getting into sports betting and you know the 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 underworld of, of yeah, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Oh, that's and, good yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's a great story. Just to... that's a great story. <laughs> stuff well, goes wrong too, but yeah. stuff stuff goes wrong. And um, on that, you know, final question: Yes, where can the chasing poker greatness listener learn more about you? I think you you may have mentioned it once or twice in our conversation yes yes uh well on twitter you can follow me at card player life plus we've got a new at poker life media account uh, uh as well on twitter that's more branded and my own is kind of you know I, I talk about other stuff i realize it's important to separate sometimes the personal from the from the brand um cardplayerlifestyle.com that's the site it's uh, it's good it's new check it out uh i host the orbit podcast we put that out there uh, I got a monthly newsletter. Basically, everything. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, you know I, I let I let people know what it is that I'm up to. Uh, you know, co-hosting, you know, hosting the Card Chat podcast, a whole bunch of different stuff. And if you wait long enough, I'll maybe someday be on a fourth episode of Chasing Poker Greatness uh, here with Brad Wilson. Great show, man. Thank you very much for this opportunity. You're you will for sure be back, and it's great having you. <laughs> Um, best of luck getting over your jet lag and we'll talk soon, man. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to chasing poker greatness. You can subscribe on Apple podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the greatness village community, book a coaching session or dive into the latest data driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.